uh, there is uh, we have a, a new mic that uh, they are working on and trying to get it right. So they're going to tune up the the volume if it's too hard, if it's too loud. At the end of the church, you have to suffer through if it's too loud. At the end, you tell me, and we let them know. But uh, they're just trying to work out the right volume uh, for those who are listening online because they've been texting and say they are unable, it's not slow for them. So they're working on it. So if you, uh, if it's a little high, then just bear with us, but let us know at the end of the uh, second session. Okay, we, in the first session, of course, we uh, reviewed quickly with uh, a statement that. Uh, we are considering the doctrine of suffering because we want to answer the question of how a believer shares in the suffering of another. So we began with looking at the effects of suffering, which we said we're really not concerned with every kind of suffering, but really the uh, spiritual aspect of suffering, not the physical. For that, we indicated that the uh, first effect of suffering is the hardness of heart, where somebody becomes stubborn, that in spite of what he or she experiences, the person shows no repentance. Now the second effect that we say this is a good one is humbling of self in repentance. So a person who recognizes his or her suffering as due to some kind of uh, sin, repents of it, and humbles himself or herself before uh, the Lord. So we also talked about the inevitability of suffering. In that case, we indicated that suffering is universal because of sin. Since some, because of that, some will think that because they are believers, sins forgiven, redeemed, and so on, that they shouldn't suffer. And we went through to say no, on the contrary, that suffering is what we Christians should expect. And so we gave various reasons as to why suffering is inevitable. Uh, the first one, of course, has to do with the Savior himself telling us that we're going to suffer. And the, the Holy Spirit through the apostles also uh, said several times that we're going to suffer. So it's not a question of whether we're going to suffer, but how we respond to suffering. So that brought us to look at the right and wrong way of responding to suffering. The wrong way we mention is you'll be wrong to speak evil towards God or even to show uh, resentment towards Him. So that's what we looked at as the first half. And in this second half, we'll begin with another right response to suffering. Another right response to suffering by a believer is related to reverential submission. It's really to have an unmistakable, trust, uh, unshakable trust in the Lord with a firm conviction that the Lord knows exactly what He is doing in whatever the suffering happens to be. The three Jewish men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exhibited this response in the face of certain 
painful death of being burnt alive. They were given the option of avoiding suffering by becoming idolatrous. But they refused and were willing to suffer as they trusted the Lord because of who he is and as we may also gather from their response or reply to Nebuchadnezzar's proposal recorded in Daniel chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. Daniel Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It reads, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That's an expression of faith, right? And you, of course, you may say to yourself that a three men have not yet suffered because they have not yet been put or been thrown into that furnace when they say this. But of course, if you did that, you'll be wrong. Now, the men were already in emotional pain or suffering because they were facing the prospect of being thrown into the furnace. I'm saying to you, that the anticipation to be thrown into a furnace is in and of itself a suffering of emotional pain by these three men. But despite such suffering, they had an unshakable trust in their God, regardless of the result or the outcome of their being thrown into the furnace. See, that's how you know what you believe in. How firm that it is. Because this man, they know. They say, he can rescue us. Even if he doesn't. That's what, where that faith comes in. And they know who he is. So he can save me. But even if he doesn't, he still won't change a thing. That's what we call blind trust, so to say. That's a faith that's unshakable. And that's what this uh, three men did that regardless of what the outcome is they know idolatry is wrong worshiping the true God is right that they know so they weren't able, uh, willing to uh, sell out anything and so they were ready to die in their conviction of course you know the, the rest of the story they didn't die because the Lord rescued them now prophet Habakkuk displayed the same unshakable trust in the Lord when he indicated that he even if he suffered economically 
because of economic down, down time uh, expressed in absence of figs and livestock needed to sustain life. That he will still trust in the Lord. As we read in Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It is, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. In other words, he said, regardless of what? He said, I will still be joyful in my Lord. That means he has the right response to uh, suffering that he believes God knows what he's doing the Lord Jesus of course responded to his suffering with an unshakable trust in God the Father despite his suffering on the cross as we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23 First Peter, chapter 2, verse 23 reads, When they hauled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he, when he suffered, he made no trace. Instead, he trust, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now that sentence, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, conveys the truth that the Lord Jesus trusted God the Father in an unshakable manner as he suffered while on the cross. Still, another proper response to suffering is to put it in proper perspective of recognizing that whatever the suffering happened to be, that it is God's plan and that, that suffering is in God's plan, and so the believer should not be overwhelmed by it. So we are saying that suffering is indeed a part of everything the Holy Spirit says through Apostle Paul in God's work in accordance with his will in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11.
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, we're all saying that you know, part of suffering is part of that plan. Here it reads, In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, this word everything we say, that includes God's plan of suffering as included in, in his plan for you. Anyhow though, a believer is better served when facing perplexing situation by remembering to look at whatever it is in the light of God's plan and his control of everything on this planet. Now we can see this approach with the psalmist. He was troubled by the facts that the wicked prospered while the righteous did not. However, his troubled mind was eased when he put everything in proper perspective as stated in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17 reads, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. So the psalmist admitted his inability to find a satisfactory answer for the evil he observed concerning the apparent prosperity of the wicked because he approached the problem in the wrong way. That's why he was having problems. That's why he says it's too oppressive for me to even conceive. So it should be pretty clear to us, though, that we could never find the solution of our problems unless we look in the right place. Now, the psalmist found satisfactory answer when his own, uh, in his own words. When he said, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Now this means that he found satisfactory answer when he entered the state of continuous worship of God. Now this, for it's only though in continuous worship that anyone could come into God's presence. Thus the psalmist is saying that he did not find a satisfactory answer to the perplexing problem that he faced until he returned to the worship of God in the sense of continuous fellowship with him. And entering, of course, of the sanctuary of God will also imply learning 
about God's character. As the psalmist also testified in Psalm 63 verse 2. Psalm 63 verse 2. Psalm 63 verse 2. It reads, Psalm 63 verse 2 reads, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Hence, when a person then focuses on the worship of God and continues to learn of God's character, then he will, be, uh, he will not be distracted or concerned with the apparent success of the wicked. Now, this is what the psalmist realized. So, if we apply this to suffering, then when a person walks in fellowship with the Lord and focuses on his character, that he is a good God, and that he is sovereignly in control of all things, the individual will realize that no matter what the sovereign is, that God is working out his Plan so that the believer will, will run to the declaration of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans Romans Eight verse twenty-eight. It reads Romans eight twenty-eight reads, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So. You're on there in your thinking. No matter what it is. It's all working out. God is all working out. Those sufferings for your good. Now in addition, the believer should derive comfort knowing that suffering is limited to this planet since there's no suffering in heaven as we read in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. Revelation 21, verse 4. It reads, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So in any event, when you face suffering then, of any kind, it is important to respond properly in the manner we have described from the scripture. 
reverential submission, I mean you reverentially submit to God knowing that he knows what he's doing at all times. You should have an unshakable trust in the Lord in the midst of your suffering and put the suffering in proper perspective of understanding that God is sovereignly in control of all things and therefore be certain that he is working out his purpose in you and through you. With what we have then stated about uh, proper response to suffering, we proceed to consider then its benefits. Benefits of suffering. So the next thing we consider is benefits of suffering, just like I mentioned during the introduction last week. Now we may never understand reason or reasons for any suffering. And we may find it difficult to deal with all. We may think it's as unfair to us as prophets uh, Habakkuk felt when he perceived that the wicked oppressed the righteous as he complained to God in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. Habakkuk or Habakkuk is Habakkuk or Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13. This is his complaint. Your eyes are too pure to look at on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent? Why the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? That's what he had to no, didn't understand. He didn't have the answer. However, we should, though, upon recognizing that God is in control of everything, realize that there must be a purpose for suffering that we experience. There must be a purpose. So, although suffering is painful, although it's painful, we should recognize that it must have some benefit in God's working out of his plan. We're saying that as a general rule, suffering, although painful, is beneficial even when we do not immediately recognize it to be so. The psalmists testified how beneficial his own suffering was in his spiritual life as we read or learn from Psalm 119 verse 71. Psalm 119 verse 71. 
Psalm 119, verse 71. It is, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. See, listen again to what the psalmist says. It was good for me to be afflicted. Now, who who in his right mind thinks it's good to suffer, right? But except for the believer who is minded or who is devoted to the Lord. Now, affliction is concerned with suffering. Therefore, when the psalmist stated that it was beneficial for him to suffer, he was thinking of its benefit to him spiritually. Spiritually. Now, this is confirmed in the clause when he says, so that I might learn you are decrees. So the psalmist's confession here is that suffering enabled him to learn of God's word. Now we can learn God's word though in the easy way of attending Bible classes to receive the word from a teacher under normal circumstances or we can learn God's word or spiritual truth by way of pain. Those are the only two options. You can learn it the easy way, which is listen and then go home and fly it. Or you learn it the hard way through pain and suffering. Now, this aside though, the point is that suffering, although painful, is beneficial or Brings blessings to believers. As the psalmist confessed them. After he was not alone. In such a confession. King Hezekiah confessed the same thing. According to Isaiah. Chapter 38. Verse 17. Isaiah chapter 38 verse 17. Isaiah chapter 38 verse 17. It is Surely, it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sin behind your back. And so the suffering that Hezekiah was concerned about in this passage was due to uh, his illness. Although it's also possible that he thought of his military defeats in the hands of the Assyrians. Now that notwithstanding, he indicates here that his suffering benefited him and that he gave him a renewed devotion 
through the Lord. Or, or he gave him a new level of appreciation for God, who is that gracious to him despite his failures. So the point is that, as a general rule for the believer, suffering brings blessings to the believer sooner or later. They will. So we have to, uh, of course, what I've really made, though, really is a general statement that suffering will eventually bring blessing. So let me provide specific examples of benefits of suffering to the believer. A specific benefit of suffering in the life of the believer is that it affirms we are God's adopted children. Suffering in your life affirms that, that you're an adopted child of God. Now the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul makes reference to the Father's suffering should confirm we are children of God. He reminded the believers in Rome that sharing in Christ's suffering implies being adopted children of God. As we read in Romans chapter 8 verse 17. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. It is Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Look at the next clause. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now to ensure that not every uh, suffering of any human being that qualifies to confirm being adopted into the family of God, the apostle used that clause, if indeed we share in his suffering, that assumes believers are sharing in Christ's suffering. So this being the case, then the, that proves that we are heirs of God. Now to, to the uh, Thessalonians, the apostle indicated that they are suffering in different ways, confirmed they belong to God, as that is what is implied by them being counted worthy of God's kingdom or being under the rule of God as stated in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 
verse 4, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 reads, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about their perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this, that is the persecution and suffering, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. In other words, their suffering confirms that they are under God's rule, they are God's children. Now, another specific benefit of suffering in the life of the believer is that it develops trust. It develops trust in the Lord as the Holy Spirit conveyed through Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. That suffering has a benefit because it develops trust in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 reads Indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. See the word suffering here is not uh, used directly in this verse. But it is implied in that phrase, the sentence of death. The sentence of death. So the apostle used this phrase to refer to his suffering that was so great that he felt that he had received a death sentence from a court. Now since the apostle indicated that the purpose of death or the death sentence here, is to cause him and his team to rely on God, we should understand that suffering of believers leads him to trusting the Lord. Now, by the way, the Greek word translated rely may also be translated trust. Thus, the apostle indicates that suffering causes him and his team to rely, not to rely on themselves, but to trust in God. Now, this being the case, we are correct to assert that suffering is beneficial in that it helps the believer to trust the Lord. Now, here, here is the thing that you have to think about it. If your life was perfect, would you really think about God? Think about it. If everything is perfect, I mean completely perfect, do you think you think about him? When you ponder it. Because you be so whatever it is, you'll be carried away. You don't think about him. So he has to give us something on this planet, because we're living in an imperfect world. So he has to give us something that will cause us to, to drive us towards him, to cause us to remember him, to think about him. Now, those who 
seem to think that their life is, they got everything the world offers. And they might have everything the world offers. They don't seem to think they need God. Even though they are well in their misery, but still they don't think they need God. Because what do I need God for? I got everything I need. That's your thinking. So, it is good for us that God don't give us everything we want. It's good for us. Why? It will cause us to keep wanting to trust Him. Keep wanting to know more Him, about Him. Continue to develop trust in Him. But if He gave us everything, we'll be sloppy in our spiritual life. So that is part of the thing you will know. And he's not going to remove it. It's part of the thing that will be on this planet for us to continuously cause us to learn to trust him. Now, there's no doubt then that suffering causes us to look more to God than to ourselves. God wants us to depend on him and trust him while on this planet so that whatever causes us to do so must be beneficial. That's what God wants. God wants you to look up to him in everything. There's no great moment you have on this planet that you can't depend on him. If he gives you, if, if the Lord just shows a space of not depending on him or not caring, we'll be in trouble. Even sometimes we don't know. He doesn't give space. He continuously cares. We are the ones that are getting ourselves in trouble because we're not focusing on him. So he wants to be sure. He, I mean, he wants to bless us. He wants to take care of us in ways that we can never even imagine. And part of the way he does that is keep this pressure on us, really. If we want to put it out, he keeps this pressure on us. Because pressure causes us to want to see, how do I get rid of this pressure? And we look up to him. So, you see, as an unbeliever, it wouldn't make sense to say that suffering has benefit. Who loves suffering? We don't love that, right? But I'm saying to you, based on the authority of the scripture, it's beneficial for all of us that we suffer. Because that's what's going to drive us to have trust in the Lord. If we don't suffer, we won't, we won't trust Him. And of course, we miss out completely. So that's why it's important that we look at things from the scriptural point of view. If you tell an ordinary unbeliever, even if you tell a fellow believer who knows nothing about the world, that suffering is very good for you, he or she will look at you as if you lost your mind. <laughs> you probably, and yeah, of course you have lost your mind because you, you're thinking about something not found in the planet. Except that it's through God's word. So that is why we have to bury ourselves in the word, get our viewpoint about anything from the Bible. Don't allow the world. So God ensures that suffering is an us. So that it's for our benefit to trust him. 
See though, another specific benefit of suffering in this life or in the life of believers is to develop spiritual character. To develop spiritual character. As the Holy Spirit says through Apostle Paul as recorded in Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4. Romans Now hold on to Romans because I'm still going to go to Romans Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 It is not only so but we also rejoice in our suffering. That's again, that thing that doesn't make sense to an unbeliever. We rejoice in our suffering. Here's the reason. Because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now you really see, it sounds almost funny. Or unbelievable that a person could rejoice in the face of suffering where it not that the apostle wrote to do under the Holy Spirit and so provides a reason for rejoicing. It is the benefit of suffering in terms of developing patience as a part of spiritual character in the life of the believer that has the apostle excited. See, he's feeling excited here. Is he excited because of suffering? No. He's excited because of what's coming, the result of this spiritual character. If you're excited about your spiritual life, yeah, you'll be excited about having a, a spiritual character to go with it, with it. Now, we use the word patience though because of the Greek word used here. You see the word perseverance is translated from a Greek word hupomone. Hupomene. That refers to the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. And so, in addition to Perseverance. So then it may mean patience or endurance. Patience or endurance. Now certainly, anything that will produce patience or endurance or perseverance in the believer is a good thing. So the Holy Spirit tells us that suffering does that. Which in turn, leads them to the development of spiritual character. Hence, suffering, although painful, is indeed beneficial to the believer. We should not fear suffering, knowing that it has spiritual benefits. I'm not saying run towards it. Just as, you know, believers, we don't fear death. Those who understand, don't fear death. But we will not say run into it either. 
You just know whenever the Lord says it is, that's when it is. But you don't fear it. In the same way, don't fear suffering. Don't be afraid of suffering. Because a lot of people just don't want to suffer. So whatever they can do to avoid suffering, they do it. Even if it means ignoring God. And they do it. But what I'm saying, no, we should not fear suffering. Knowing that it has spiritual benefits. In any event, to end then this, this uh, doctrine of suffering, there are facts we want to present to you that you should arm yourself when faced with suffering. There are certain facts. First, you should remind yourself that suffering does not change God's character in relationship with you. That suffering does not change God's character in relationship with you. God is always loving. God is always loving. Sometimes you may not look that way, but He is, believe me. He's walking behind his scene, you better see it. But He is, because He's always loving. Doesn't suffering does not alter His love for, for you as a believer. The Holy Spirit is clear that there's nothing that will change His love for you as a believer. According to that statement in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, he reads, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Trouble, hardship, or suffering. Or persecution, suffering too. Or famine, that's the suffering. Or physical suffering. Or nakedness, or danger, or sword. So, this passage in effect conveys that suffering will not change the love of Christ for you, Christ who is God. Now suffering is conveyed again in the phrase trouble or hardship or persecution or famine. So whether you are faced with physical or emotional suffering, you can be certain that such does not alter God's love for you. Now, as you recognize that suffering does not affect the love of God for you, be also reminded that Jesus Christ understands your suffering since in his humanity he experienced suffering of the type you would not possibly understand or face on this planet. But that's not all though. He is able to help you in time of your suffering 
as implied in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 reads, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he helps those who are being tempted. He also helps those who are suffering as believers because he suffered himself. Second, remember that God is on your side. So for us, I say, you remember that that suffering is not going to change his love for you. Then the second is, remember he's on your side. God is on your side. And even though you're suffering, but know that God is on your side. He is concerned about your suffering and will not ignore you. No matter what our suffering is, he's not going to ignore you. Be sure of that, he's not. He's concerned about your suffering. It's really evident in what he said about his covenant people, Israel, when there was when they were suffering in Egypt, as we read in Exodus chapter three, verse seven. Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, and you hold on to that, we pick up the next verse 2. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. It reads, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have had them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. That's what God says. I'm concerned about their suffering. Now it's not only that God is concerned about your suffering. But he will also not ignore your plight. Now this fact means that he, you know, is something he, he does something about it. This is demonstrated in his promise to deliver Israel. Look at the next verse, verse 8. That Exodus 3, look at verse 8. He says, So, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of this land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Ahitites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So, he is concerned about you. He cares about you. He's on your side. Now, the psalmist also is clear that God will not ignore your cry in times of suffering. As we read in Psalm chapter 9, verse 12. 
hold on to Psalms because I'm going to pick up two more verses uh, in Psalms. Psalms chapter 9 verse 12. It is Psalm chapter 9 verse 12 reads, For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. So the reason we can be confident that the Lord will do something about your suffering is that the psalmist testified to God's deliverance of his own from troubles. God delivers his own. That is the testimony or the confession of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 34, verse 19. Psalm chapter 34, verse 19. Psalm 34, verse 19 reads, A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So that should give you the assurance that God is on your side. He'll deliver you from all your troubles. Thus, you should derive comfort from this promise, though, so that you will be comforted like the psalmist, as he also declared in Psalm 119, verse 50. Look at Psalm 119, verse 50. Psalm 119, verse 50. Psalm 119, verse 50. It reads, My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Look at that. Comfort in suffering. That his promise preserves his life. Thought, you can count on his grace being available to you in times of your suffering. Hence, it is no wonder Apostle Paul makes a reference to the availability of God's grace to him in his weakness, as we read in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse. Nine. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine. This is the apostle which is unsuffering. Whatever they happen to be, there is some kind of suffering. He's Pray that the Lord will remove that. And the Lord did not. He said, this is what he said the Lord told him. Then he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my witnesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. He prayed, Lord, remove these things, whatever they were, that the Satan was using to harass him. Call the flesh, tongue in the flesh, tongue in the flesh, whatever that happened to be. God said, no, I'm not going to remove them. Because they're doing a good service for you. It's keeping you humble. That's why I said, he's not going to remove suffering from us on this planet. So don't ever think that you're going to go through this life as a believer, suffering free. It's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Finally though, you should be comforted by remembering that although you suffer now, but that is nothing compared to the glory that awaits you in the eternal state as stated in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 it is I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us so you see, now we have laid to you the doctrine of suffering from the scripture. So with the conclusion of the doctrine of suffering, we are now ready to answer the question of how a believer could suffer together with another believer or share in the suffering of a believer, a fellow believer. This we do in our next study. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone over the internet listening, but you're not a child of God. That is to say, if you die now, you go straight to hell, where the suffering is of untold proportion, unimaginable suffering in hell where a person is going to be without anything that comes from God. It is a horrendous situation where no blessing, nothing good from God will be in a person. So if you are without Christ, that's what's waiting you. However, there's a good news. The good news is that God loves you. Because of his love for you, he has done something to keep you from being in that horrible place called hell. What did he do? God sent his son, Jesus Christ. The second member of the Godhead who left heaven with all his glories came to this planet to suffer, to be maltreated, spat upon, beaten, in spite of all the miracles he's done to show that he is the son of God. In spite of all his teaching, they went after him. 
he raised someone from the dead, Lazarus. And they said, we can't have this. Let's go kill him. All because he came here as a lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So eventually, they came to arrest him. And they did. He asked them that simple question, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they all hit the ground. He gave them permission to arrest him. And when they finally arrested him, they went through a mock trial. And during that trial, they finally convicted him to die on the cross. No sin was, they couldn't convict him of anything because he was without sin. He who knew no sin was then taken to be crucified on the cross for your sins and my sin. So while he had all kinds of pain, they beat him, they slap him, they mock him, making those crowns of thorn, put it on his head and mashing it so that he has pain coming everywhere. He didn't complain, he didn't cry. They led him to Golgotha, finally nailed him down on that cross, still on the ground, before they moved, lifted it up and sank it to the ground. He didn't move, he didn't cry, he didn't say anything. As painful as it was, yet, the last three hours, when my sins and your sins were being judged upon the Son of God, it was so unbearable that he let out that cry, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How are you going to have it? The Bible said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, this is a routine that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you believe in Him, you have life through His name. If you believe that He died on the cross for you, was buried, rose again the third day, you will have your sins completely forgiven. No matter how horrendous they may be, they will be completely wiped out and never to be remembered by God. In other words, you will never be called to account for your sins the moment you trust in Christ. So trust in Him, believe in Him, and you have life. On the other hand, if you say, well, I really don't want to do that, my friend, you are one foot step to hell, and you need to rethink your approach to life and see what is good for you for all eternity is to trust the Son of God. The one who died for your sin. I have only Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to challenge us to understand that there are benefits to our suffering so that we'll have right responses whenever we suffer. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.